And I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. Well, the weekend is upon us, and I'm happy about that, and I hope you are too. But i got to say, this was not a good week for the country. This was not a good week for the greatest country on earth. This was not a good week for the country that we are so blessed to be in. I understand that it's an election year, and I understand that there's a lot of gamesmanship, and, you know, when one side loses, the other side wins. But, look, um, it's just, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing what happened last night. It's bad for the country. Um, I mean, it's, 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 an, it's a continuation. It's an extension. It's a deepening of a presidency that is already bad for the country. You know, the people that said Trump was bad for the country were by and large people that disagreed with Trump or didn't like him aesthetically. People can understand the difference here. It's bad for the country that the occupant of the presidency is not functional. I was thinking about this last night because I'm a history buff. And you may think this is a bit extreme, but I want to make a point here. This is like something has happened to the president, but we haven't sworn in another one. We're just pretending everything's fine. So, of course, yesterday was the day of the special counsel report, Robert Herr, We talked about this extensively. I won't belabor it. In a lengthy report that did not recommend charges against President Biden for mishandling documents, although saying that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed, meaning showed or allowed the showing of classified documents, after his vice presidency, so as a private citizen. But we're not going to charge him, and the reason we're not going to charge him is not because he's now president, but because, in our judgment, based on our interviews with him, he would be a figure of sympathy for jurors who would see him as an elder, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. And that was damaging to him, And that was confirming of what we see. We see the president every day. We're not like Americans 100 years ago who might never see a president, might see an etching of him in the newspaper or something. We we see the president all the time. We, We have a sense of what our presidents look like and how they act and so forth. And then somebody had the idea that he should come out last night not terribly late at night. In fact, it was around the end of our show, so I don't consider that late at night. But I guess that's late at night for him. And I guess the idea was that he needs to be fiery and feisty and fighting back and um, righteously indignant, which would be a good thing politically. That's That's probably a good idea if you can pull it off. Well, he didn't pull it off. In fact, he made it worse. He dug the hole deeper. In the course of 
an appearance whose purpose was, I don't forget things, he forgot things. Whose purpose was, I am clear, he was anything but. He was thin-skinned, defensive, angry, but most of all, there were long pauses, silences. This man isn't just having trouble talking and thinking. He's looking for words and thoughts. And in essence, I heard somebody say this morning, the stuff he didn't say was almost as bad as the stuff he did. So the idea was we're going to fight back, but whoever I, who, whoever had this idea miscalculated because he's in no position to fight back. His every appearance, his every public appearance only confirms what that council wrote and what we have all seen. We see him all the time. We see his incoherence repeatedly. We see him say things that are untrue or misleading. He has told so many different versions of his son Bo's death that I've lost count. He also did that thing that I love when politicians do. He threw his staff under the bus in reference to the report shows photographs of how the government documents from the time when he was vice president, were stored at his home and at his office, and it's pathetic. It's it's broken down, torn, semi-open cardboard boxes. You, you know, you 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 keep your stuff at home better than he keeps vital documents. Well, my staff did that. My my people stored things and put things in my garage, and I didn't know they were there. So at the end, this man of the people that rides the train and his blue-collar Joe blamed other people. It's everybody's fault but his. I don't know about you, but that's not only something I hate in politicians, it's also a sign of desperation. So he comes out and he makes this disastrous appearance. Let me play you a few examples. He made a statement and then took questions. Very rare that he does that. Peter Ducey from Fox had a question, cut number four. President Biden, something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's, uh, that's, that's my memory has gotten worse? Now look, my memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Then the CBS reporter uh, asks about whether or not he can continue. And uh, she's not Peter Ducey. She's not the enemy. And he snaps at her, too. Cut number five. Mr. President, 
For months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many me. American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your judgment. That is not the judgment of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? Why, what is your answer to that question? Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be President of the United States and finish the job I started. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was him. Maybe it was his idea to come out. Maybe maybe the people around him said, this isn't a good idea. It's, it's uh, you know, 7 o'clock at night, and you're usually uh, having your dinner tray and watching whatever you watch on television, and... You're, you're not, this should be done in the morning. Maybe he insisted because he apparently believes he is uniquely and supremely uh, qualified. And it wasn't bad enough that he had these brittle encounters with a mostly fawning White House press corps, but then he's leaving the room and they're still calling out questions. Now, most people, I think, would, would think I'm, I'm, I need to get out of here. I need to cut my losses. This hasn't gone very well, but I gave it a try. He comes back. He now resumes the news conference as if to say, I, I think I can show them. And then this happens, cut number six. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response In, Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard. He had taken a question about the Middle East, and he says that Sisi, which is Al-Sisi, president of Egypt, is the president of Mexico. Mexico is not part of this conversation or involved in this at all. I don't know if he was thinking about Mexico, if he had been in a briefing about I don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that, where that came from. Speaking of Bo and stories about him, he took issue with the special counsel, noting that among the, the many things he couldn't remember during his two days of testimony last October was exactly when Bo Biden died. He's, he's going to put that to rest once and for all. His memory on Bo is clear. Cut number seven. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Let me tell you something. Some of you have commented, I wear since the day he died, every single day, the rosary he got from Our Lady of... Every Memorial Day, we hold a service remembering him attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. I don't know. I don't know if he got overcome with emotion. It sounded like he just couldn't remember the name of the church. I'm not going to judge anybody for how they deal with the grief of losing a child. 
But as far as how dare they bring it up, Mr. President, you bring it up all the freaking time. You've made it one of the things a a questioner would ask in order to probe or test your recall. You have made it part of the national conversation. We did not intrude we did not ask for your private grief to become ours. You push it in people's faces all the time. I work with a man. I work with a man who lost both of his children. The only two children he'll ever have. And in all the time I've spent with him, all the years I've spent with him, he doesn't mention that nearly as often as President Biden mentions Bo Biden. I don't doubt that he grieves him, but I also know that he uses him. And so I'm sick and tired of that little rampart and his hiding behind it, just as I'm sick and tired of his defenders and his first responders this morning coming out and saying, you people need to give him a break because he has a stutter. I know a little about that. I had one. When you have a stutter, you have it your whole life. You manage it. You can improve it. But it's never completely gone. He started stuttering when he started losing his memory. You go back and you play the clips, if you want, of Joe Biden in his prime. There was no stutter. So if it isn't his son's death, it is other people's physical challenges that he attempts to clothe himself in. And it's just bad for the country where we are right now. I'm not happy about this. I'm not having a good time with this. I know conservative radio sometimes is a good time with Biden. I'm, I'm sickened by this. I'm sickened by the fact that this is where we're at. I'm sickened by the fact that there are still people who are putting their loyalty to the Democratic Party or their pride about how they voted and how, how they were fooled ahead of the good of our country. You, you, you may have been fooled. You may have been reacting to Trump. I don't know why you did what you did when you voted for him, but come on. Or as he would say, come on, man. I'm not going to feel sorry for him as President of the United States. Afghanistan was a disgrace. The border is a disgrace. Inflation is eating us alive. He's called half the country terrorists and racists. His family is selling foreign policy for profit. He is shipping money we don't have to a war we have not defined an interest in. And now he's insisting on running for and remaining in an office that everyone can see he cannot do. So if I knew him as a person, I'd feel sorry for him. But I'm not going to feel sorry for him as the president. And whatever that was last night, it was an utter failure. And it goes to the point of these people don't even know how bad this is. In their hubris, they think they can yell at us a little bit, scold us a little bit, guilt us a little bit about dead children and stutters, and will back down. It says a lot about how they feel about you and what they think of you that they figured, well, we'll just get out there in front of some microphones, knock this thing down. 
it's not a good week for the country. Look, here, here's where we are, where we're at right now. We we don't really know who's running this uh, administration. We know they've sent this guy out. They've used this guy as a facade, but clearly not organizing, running, thinking, innovating its policies. We don't know who's in charge. Here's what we do know. I started to watch Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. I haven't finished it yet. I haven't gotten through the first answer yet, because the first answer is like an hour long. Now, Putin is many things. He's arrogant. He's out of touch. He's attempting to justify the invasion of Ukraine by stuff that happened in the 800s. I didn't say 1800s, the 800s. But he's got all his marbles. He's got a command of history. He can speak clearly and continuously, albeit in, you know, through an interpreter, but it's pretty clear he's got his material. He's got Tucker Carlson, who's a smart guy, whatever else you think of him, he is a smart guy, totally on his heels. This is what we're up against. I'm not saying this out of admiration. Putin is bad news, but this is who we're sending our president into private meetings with. And President Xi has even more going on, more on the stick than than Putin. And then there's who knows how many other world leaders, including leaders of our allies, perhaps, who are running circles around our guy. That's where we're at. By the way, a lot of you wrote to me and thought that the White House sabotaged Tucker's interview by having the Biden speech. First of all, <laughs> I think you're giving them way too much credit. But you got to remember, the Tucker interview is, is a on-demand um, piece. It was dropped yesterday, but it wasn't a television show that if you missed it, you don't get to see it. it. People will watch it. People are watching it. And and even if people were distracted last night, it's not going to stop them from seeing or knowing about the interview. And, I, I again, I'm not all the way through it, and I don't know if it's worth sitting all the way through. I'm, I'm working my way through it. I'll, I'll probably have more to say about it Monday. Um, so what did you think about last night? What did you think about the way this is playing out? I feel kind of dumb asking you this because, in one sense, we've covered this. We have talked this to death. We, uh, it's it's not controversial. Even the polls seem to suggest that there's a consensus. One of the very few things large majority of Americans agree on in the political world, I mean, is that President Biden is not fully functional. Um, so what do you think? What do you think of the decision to try to bat that down so hubristically and, and condescendingly? And we're not even getting into, but we will. We haven't even touched this yet. If this is the reaction to Biden and the, and, and the documents he retained, having been vice president... What does this do to the, the document case against former President Donald Trump? It seems to me like, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me like right now the case for dismissing all those charges 
immediately has never been stronger. And I'm not saying that out of a preference for Trump. I'm just saying that out of consistency. You you really can't put these two sets of facts side by side and have it make any sense. I mean, you can usually juxtapose things and see the juxtaposition. I understand why the 49ers and the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. They both belong in the Super Bowl. They're both, you know, elite teams at every level, coaching, quarterback, position players. I mean, they side by side, they make sense. Side by side, the Trump case and the Biden case make no sense. <laughs> I read... Um, I forget where this was. It was a story that said uh, Democrats are very unhappy with the decision to allow Biden to speak that late at night. Seven o'clock? That late at night? Does he not make it to seven o'clock? What's he doing at seven o'clock? They they doing a blood transfusion of young virgin blood at that time, or what? What what are they doing? I remember when Hillary was asking us about the 3 a.m. phone call. Remember? Who do you want to take the 3 a.m. phone call? I guess in this White House, the 3 a.m. phone call is out of the question. Phone's just going to ring and ring and ring. It's the 7 p.m. phone call. Oh, well, he had a full day. Oh, well, he was questioned by the uh, special counsel. Uh, the day after Israel invaded, or excuse me, uh, Hamas attacked Israel. So what? what is that telling me? That if there's stuff going on in the world, he's really not at his best? Yeah, but remember, it's it was 8 p.m. in yeah. D.C. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was, yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, I was thinking like FDR, okay? He's president for 12 years. He has a bad heart, terrible health habits. He's in a wheelchair. I mean, just like the easiest day he had was harder than any day Biden said. Or Reagan, who was our oldest president at the time. We talked about this yesterday. In his first year, the world fell apart. The world blew up. He got shot. I'm sorry, that's that doesn't fly. It just doesn't. And um, if you want to tell me that he's having a hard time or he's had a hard term in office, then you're also telling me there's nothing left in the tank and he can't run for a second term. I know that we've covered all this. I know we. I know you know all this. I'm not yelling at you. I don't mean to yell at all. <laughs> but I'm just, I, I, I just can't get over what our fellow Americans have done to this country, putting this guy in. I'm not asking for a lot. Could you just not do it again? Okay, you didn't, you didn't take our word for it, and you don't like the orange man, but could you just not, we can't have more of this. And if you want me to take your foreign enemies seriously and your foreign wars seriously, I need to see that my own government and my own fellow Americans are not effing the country. If, if I'm supposed to believe in a foreign enemy, 
we need to do something about the damage we're inflicting on ourselves. If I'm supposed to be worried about an attack or predation from a foreign or outside element, the people that are still carrying water for Joe Biden are killing this freaking country. Killing it. And you want to talk about Ukraine and you want to talk about other places? We're going to talk about that too. 210-599-5555. Esteban is on the radio. Esteban, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I have a joke to make it lighter, but seriously, the media that covered this last election that put him in office when his cognitive decline was so visible. Media ethics have gone down the toilet. I remember the 1990s where even Saturday Night Live could make fun of Ted Kennedy. But, you know, I can see bias, but... Looking the other way when the lights are on, but nobody's home, and it was obvious even that during that election, I don't know what, they pumped them up for the debate. Uh, if you don't want to claim to be a journalist, investigate, be inquisitive, find facts. If power is being corrupted and being abused, uh, hunt it down no matter what party it is, or don't claim to be a journalist. Claim to be a a source of hot air and a source of a bovine compost because you because you know even the most biased reporter in the sixties would have been embarrassed at the way mm-hmm. Biden was covered this election. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, good point, Esteban. Thank you. The other day we were talking about the election, and I um, this, by the way, is not some fully fleshed out theory I have or anything, but. I, I've been noticing, and I and, and I said it, that the way everyone from Joe Biden to Kamala Harris to the Democratic leaders in Congress and the sort of the the leading figures in the Democratic Party and the Democratic media, the way they're talking, the way they're acting, and the way, for example, that they're avoiding the infirmities of Joe Biden, almost give you the idea that they know how the election is going to turn out. They know they've got it. They know they don't have to be worried about it. This, these are not the words and actions of people that are worried. And even the damage control that was done today on every liberal channel and many shows about Joe Biden's performance last night, it wasn't really panicked. It wasn't really, you know, run for the hills. It, they act like they... They've got this election. And it raises the question, do they? Do they have the results in the bag? Do they know that because of their control of the mechanisms and processes of the election, that there will be enough votes in the right places? And it really only comes down to about eight or ten states. You just have to be good in those states. The The rest of the states are, are foregone conclusions. They're all blue. They're all red. You're going to win them. You're going to lose them with anybody. But there's like, you know, eight or ten states. You know what I'm talking about. And you just got to you got to have enough votes, and you got to know what constitutes enough votes in those places. So it's not hard. It's not a vast conspiracy. One party has concentrated for years on controlling the machinery of conducting elections and counting votes. The other party has ignored it. 
one party has made it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, tinfoil hat conspiracy theories to even say, I don't believe the election results or I see where there was distortion. You're called an election denier, which is an intentional word. It's meant to remind people of Holocaust deniers. And the other party has not answered the bell. And you know which one is which. So maybe we have to throw this whole episode with Biden this week in the basket of, well, they've got it. They can, they can win with him. They can win with 10 or 20 other people. I'm not saying I know it, but you can't prove that that's not the case. And the way, the reason you can't prove I'm wrong is that if they really did not know, if the, the election was in doubt, if, for example, they believed the polls were fed all the time, Trump is winning, Trump is ahead, Trump is winning over the black vote, the Hispanic vote, the, the, you know, youth vote, the independent vote, he's pulling ahead in the, uh, battleground states, those eight or ten states. If they believed what they're telling you, then Biden last night would have been the last straw. But they're very, uh, they're very chill about this. So it just makes me wonder. 210-599-5555. Um, one of the reporters was going through the response to the her report from the White House. It was a lengthy written report by two lawyers that worked for President Biden. And they were refuting the whole, uh, you know, Findings of the interview and this guy, Robert Hur doesn't have the, the qualifications to deem the president's memory faulty and his treatment of the president is inappropriate and pejorative and prejudicial. They say this in the uh, letter. We request that you revisit your descriptions of President Biden's memory and revise them so that they are stated in a manner that, that is within the bounds of your expertise and remit. So they're demanding that the special counsel change his report. Well, the reason he said what he said in his report was to justify his decision not to put the president... Uh, not to charge the president. So are these lawyers working for the president saying that the president is fit to be tried on these charges? You can't have it both ways. You can't claim that he was exonerated and he's innocent when the report says he wasn't charged because he basically has dementia. They're hoping you won't notice this. They're hoping you won't think this through too much. And the juxtaposing of this case and the Trump case is disastrous. Trump is charged with willfully retaining 21 documents that were marked top secret. Biden is... Uh, accused in this report of retaining 18 
marked top secret. Trump is charged with willfully retaining nine files marked secret. Biden is accused, not charged, of retaining 36 papers marked secret. And Biden is accused of sharing the document with his ghostwriter. He angrily denied that in his news conference last night, but that's in the report. So do you believe him or do you believe Robert Hur? I guess is what you have to decide. And Biden was coming out of the vice presidency, which in the world of document privileges is vastly different than president. And that's why Trump, and it wasn't the best defense, tried to say, well, I can declassify things as president. Turns out he didn't do that, but he was right on that point at least. Biden never had that power. So when Biden is telling his ghostwriter about classified documents, they haven't been declassified. And he kept hundreds of them, not six, as the White House told us back at the beginning of this story. And it wasn't just the boxes behind the Corvette. And remember that in both the house and the office where the documents were found, and these are photographs in her's report, Hunter Biden had access to all that stuff. Oh, Hunter? We haven't talked about Hunter. So if you're predisposed to trust Joe Biden... I'm not sure why, but if you are, do you, do you also trust Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden is not an unregistered foreign agent. Hunter Biden is not a deeply compromised on personal as well as professional basis person. Hunter Biden is not a guy who has tried to monetize everything about his position and family. Like you, you want to tell me that leaving anything valuable to the security of the country around Hunter Biden, you're okay with that? Because if you're saying that, then I don't think you have any ground to stand on to complain about Donald Trump or his family. Like, the worst things I've ever heard anybody say about Trump and Donald Jr. and Eric still don't approach Hunter. They just don't. That's not even close. I... I I don't think it holds together when you juxtapose the two cases. I don't think it holds together when you watch this man in action. I think there's enough people with enough experience with dementia in their families to know what they're seeing. I'm noticing that my non-political friends, this is very interesting to me. You know, we all have people we know that are very into all this stuff and they want to debate politics and they listen to talk radio and websites. and, And then we have friends that are just, I don't do that. I'm not interested in that. We love them. They're great people. They're usually very uninvolved with this stuff. I'm noticing that they're noticing. And their reaction isn't political. It's just, wow, that reminds me of my grandpa. Or that's how my dad got toward the end. Or that's what it was like in his last year. They know. We know. I don't know any family that hasn't struggled with dementia. Everybody I know has somebody who's dealt with it or is dealing with it, and it's tough. 
But I also don't know any family, personally, that would send their dementia patient out into the arena in order to protect their own power and pride and think that it would be okay. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody that would send their grandpa out. Let's send grandpa to a news conference. That's what these people are doing. And the, the, the same people that make that judgment are also making all the other decisions clearly, right, because it's not him. You know, in a family, a really big consideration is power of attorney and medical power of attorney. Might be worth asking at this point, who has the power of attorney over the United States? Who has power of attorney, medical power of attorney over this administration? Because, again, the patient is not running this administration. Did you watch or are you going to watch this uh, Tucker interview? Yeah, I tried like you did. Uh, this is long. It's two hours. I've got a plan. But I guess it's the whole time. thing, right? They're saying they're, it's not edited or whatever. It's just... The whole encounter. Yeah, see, being in news, you know, we grab sound bites on everything. So I've been trying to yeah. find some things that are cut up, uh, but it's the weekend. So, I, you know, I'm interested. I know some people, oh, nothing Putin has to say matters. Um, pending the translator can be trusted, mm-hmm. I'm curious as to what he has to say. Yeah, yeah, I'm working my way through it, and mm-hmm. hopefully by Monday we'll have seen it or seen uh, more of it. Um, I'm going to play a piece of it here for you in a second, but uh, 210-599. Fifty-five, fifty-five, um, and no spoilers because I haven't seen the whole thing, so I can't spoil it for you anyway. But I promise, if you're waiting to watch it, this conversation will not ruin it for you. There's no surprise ending. You know, it doesn't reveal who shot Jr. at the end or anything like that. But um, at the beginning, uh, Tucker Carlson just is standing there in front of the Kremlin, and he says, um, "We did this interview, and you're going to see the whole thing." And we had two hours, and um, and here it is. And right away, you notice something about the dynamic between these two men. Now, I, I've been watching Tucker Carlson on television and on his ex thing for a while now. He's a very confident, self-contained dude. I mean... People that don't like him, I guess, would say smug or uppity or whatever. But he he knows what he knows. He knows he's smart. He knows he's prepared. Being prepared in an interview always gives you that extra sort of swagger, and he, he has that. And Okay. So he doesn't go into anything tentatively. You've never seen him, at least I never have, either unprepared, ill-prepared, or or even intimidated by the people he's interviewed. The dynamic in this interview, is totally different. He laughs nervously. His body language is subservient. He looks like he is, I don't know, either relieved, grateful, <laughs> eager to please. There's, there's some joking. And Putin says to him, Is this a talk show, or is this a serious interview? And, of course, to you and me, we would be like, well, those are the same thing. But no, I think the distinction he's making is 
am I going to tell you what I want to tell you, or are you going to say what you want to say? So he he has Tucker Carlson on his heels. But still, Tucker's a smart guy. Then he starts, he, he, the, the obvious first question, why'd you invade Ukraine? I mean, you have to ask that question. You might as well ask it first. It's the reason you're there. And I haven't gotten through the whole answer yet. Because it goes on for like 40 minutes, 50 minutes. He starts in the year 862. I'm not, I'm not kidding. And it's clear that he has, I mean, even if he's a history buff, it's clear that he has prepared and memorized a manifesto of, you know, here are all of our grievances, here are all of the times that the Russian people were wronged or deprived, here are all the the reasons that it's righteous for us to control this territory and all the other powers that have tried to control it before us, we have more claim to it. And as I was watching this, I was thinking, this is how our media interview Democrats. They just let them say and talk and justify and rationalize to their heart's content. And he's letting him go. He tries to interrupt him a few times, but mostly he's just letting him rattle off these dates and places. And it, it, occasionally he says, you lost me. What century are we in? Oh, I'm at 13, you know, 48 now or something. And it, it just goes on like that. And you realize that this is what it takes. Vladimir Putin is what it takes to be on top or in charge of a system like his. You you can't be a consensus builder and a compromiser and a nice guy. The, the, the Russian system, which is an outgrowth of the Soviet system, and, and remember, Putin is a product of the Soviet system. He he talks in the interview about the Soviet Union like it's, it's something he once heard of but knows nothing or very little about. He even says a few times, I don't know why the Soviets did this or I don't know why the Soviets did that. He was part of it. He was part of the Soviet system. But anyway, he comes from a system that only rewards brute strength. So you've got to lord it over everybody else. You've got to be the biggest dog on the block. You've got to, you know, override and run over everybody and everything. That is not, I'm not saying that out of admiration. I'm just saying that's what it takes in his system. His system doesn't produce popularity it produces power or i should say maybe it recognizes power not popularity that's a better way to say it by the way the president of china same thing you can call them post-communist you can call them modern you can call them anything you want they call there's a book about putin that calls him the new czar but basically these are people that have killed or destroyed all their rivals to get where they are. So you don't think in an interview with some bow-tie-wearing journalist they're going to be intimidated or interrupted or thrown off their talking points. It's not going to happen. Now, he also asked him, I want to play this for you, uh, he asked him about the Nordstrom 
of the Nord Stream, Nordstrom, the Nord Stream pipeline, which famously blew up a year and a half ago. Um, take a listen to this answer, and in particular, one of the things he says in this answer. The question is, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? Cut number ten. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have? Do you have? Uh, I did not blow up <laughs> Nord Stream. Uh, thank you, though. You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected, who is interested and who is capable of doing it. But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, and it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services or intel services, you would, that NATO, the U.S., CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work but it is cost-prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened and even American analysts talk about it directly. It's true. Yes, I, but, but here's a question you may be able to answer. You worked in Germany, famously. Um, the Germans clearly know that their NATO partner did this, but they, and it damaged their economy greatly, it may never recover. Why are they being silent about it? That's very confusing to me. Why wouldn't the Germans say something about it? This also confuses me. But today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than its national interests. Otherwise, it is difficult to explain the logic of their action or inaction. After all, it is not only about Nord Stream 1, which was blown up, and the Nord Stream 2 was damaged. All right, so he, and then he goes on to say there's another pipeline and they could be using it. I thought it was interesting when he said, well, in, in answer to the sub-question, why not take a propaganda victory lap if you have proof that the United States did this thing that the United States has denounced and denied? And he says, well, you, you're, you in the West, you in the United States, you control most of the world's media and messaging. And, you know, no one says that, but that is true. I don't say that's the reason or that I believe him, but that is true. By the way, um, 
I thought it was interesting that, have you noticed how many times when he is asked a uh, question, there's this kind of chuckle, this kind of smugness? Do you think that's an act? Or does it sound like somebody who um, believes that he is up against lesser men? Because I got that very strong vibe from this guy. Now, he could be delusional. He could be a maniac. But how would you feel if you were Putin and you were looking out the window figuratively, not literally, at the other leaders in the world, and who do you see? You see Joe Biden. You see Macron. You see the this month's prime minister in the U.K. You see Trudeau. How would you feel? You see the U.N., you see the top military leaders of your chief rival, the men with the most medals on their jacket, piously and sincerely, maybe not sincerely, seriously intoning that climate change is the great enemy, the thing that keeps them awake at night, that we need a defense budget to defend ourselves against the weather. H- how confident would you be if you were Vladimir Putin? How much chuckling do you think you would do? How good would you feel at the end of the day? I mean, that's that's what it was going through my mind watching this, listening to this. I don't know what you think. We were talking about uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. The new CNN show King Charles has gone down in the history books as one of the all-time great ratings duds. It debuted with the smallest debut audience for a CNN primetime show in over 10 years, and the audience has been declining ever since. Currently, King Charles, which is hosted by Charles Barkley and Gail King, is only pulling 89,000 viewers in the 25 to 54 demographic. So like a local radio talk show, I won't name one, has a bigger audience than a primetime show on CNN. And now I hear that the new guy in charge of CNN thinks the answer is to... the, The reason King Charles is on is because the guy that left, the guy that was supposedly pulling CNN to the center thought that they should get away from all Trump hate all the time and do like interviews and stuff like that. And here were two recognizable celebrities, although apparently I haven't watched it, but people say the chemistry is horrible between them. It's just, They're probably good on their own, but they're not great together. That happens a lot in our business. Uh, it's hard to put people together. Um, but now the new guy is, is dialing it back in the direction of, of Trump. And, you know, part of me thinks, well, that's really all they know. I mean, if you think about CNN and MSNBC, can you remember a time before they were obsessed with hating Trump and demonizing Trump and his supporters? 
mean, you go way back for CNN, and they were like the Tiananmen Square Network and the people that, you know, were in Baghdad during the war. And, I mean, it was it was cool. And it was cutting edge. I've said this, I've told this story before. When I was in college in the 80s and going to journalism school, all these people around me wanted to do TV news. I wanted to do radio. And there were like 400 people that all wanted to be the next reporter hired by CNN. Everybody wanted that gig. It was the cool place to be. And you would think the way the world is going, there's even more chaos and tumult and trouble and the world is coming closer to us. It's. It would seem like the Tiananmen Square model would, would work, right? But no one's doing it. No one's trying it. In fact, it's interesting their reaction to Tucker Carlson going to Moscow. How, how can he do that? How can he? He's a, he's a tool. Well, all these networks had a Moscow bureau. They had a Moscow correspondent. And that Moscow correspondent would have dropped everything, including a newborn baby, if they'd been offered an interview with the then first secretary of the Soviet Union. So, no, I don't know. This is kind of a cool story. It's been a lot of anti-Semitism in the sporting world in recent months, since October 7th, obviously. Uh, there have been um, overt acts of discrimination against Israeli athletes and teams. The Irish women's basketball team was playing in a tournament in Latvia, and they went up against the Israeli women's team, and the Irish would not shake the Israeli team's hands. They refused to shake hands in solidarity with the Palestinians. So the somehow the Irish women's basketball team thinks they have something to do with the Palestinians. I wonder if there's a, um, a lot of women playing basketball in Gaza. What do you think? Funny, I, I haven't seen any of that in the news stories that we get. But they had the, you know, they're doing the solidarity with the Palestinians thing. Well, the Israelis crushed them 87 to 57. So I guess, I guess now the Irish women's basketball team does kind of know what it feels like to be the Palestinians. You've been waiting. Monday, you got through it Tuesday, you got through it Wednesday, you started to smell it Thursday, you were right on top of it, and now it's here! It's Friday! It's time to rock and roll! Break out the speakers! Blow your cars antenna! Get home, get to your stuff, and get ready to rock because it's Friday! We're live Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 right here at this spot, but also available as an on-demand podcast, whole episodes of the show. You can listen weekends, nights, anytime you want. Go to KTSA.com, pull down the on-demand menu, or look for the Jack Riccardi Show podcast.
in the places where you get your other podcasts. It's been a big week for outrageous stories of illegal immigration, Times Square. Uh, there's this story today about a guy that uh, crossed, a Pakistani man who crossed the uh, southern border, who was on the terror watch list but was released um, and was at large. You you kind of get the feeling, I would imagine, that at some point when there is an act of terrorism, we're going to connect the dots or the dots are going to be connected back to these years and this border. But Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, was being interviewed. Um, it's Dave Rubin's podcast. I forget the name of his podcast. But uh, he asked him about immigration and the the attempt at compromise uh, this week. But Rand Paul says some stuff here. It's it's very short, packed with candor and truth, as the things that Rand Paul says usually are. I want you to listen to this. This is a truth bomb about immigration and why things are the way they are. Cut number nine. I'm actually not against immigration. I'm actually for uh, yeah, more lawful immigration, but it would need to be these little narrow bills. Instead, they say, well, yeah, we'll increase employment-based or work-based visas, but only if you give the 18 million people who are already here the right to vote. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm pretty open on this issue. I would give work permits even to those who came here illegally. I'd probably give some work permits, but I'm not giving them the right to vote, mm-hmm. and we're not going to make that trade. So we've stayed at a standstill for the 12 years I've been here. No immigration changes have happened, even though I think some incremental things could be improved. None of it happens because the Democrats say all or nothing, comprehensive or nothing. And comprehensive for them means all 18 million people here illegally get to vote, and I'm not for that. What do you think the Democrats' intentions are here? Like, what do you think Biden or whoever's driving Biden at this point, what do you think the intentions are from all the videos we see at the border and the amount of people flooding? Everything about immigration is about power politics. It has nothing to do with the individuals. They don't. Uh, there's, there's no sort of compassion. If you talk to these people, do you care about the little kids coming across, what might happen to teenage girls coming across? They don't care yeah. about that. All they care about is votes. Mm -hmm. Their whole goal is to take Texas. They've been trying to take Texas for 20 years. The only way they take Texas is let's legalize a couple of million people here illegally and let them vote. The sooner the better. That's why they can't wait till their kids grow up to vote because their kids actually might like America and start liking American (laughs) ways, become successful, enter the middle class, become rich, and all of a sudden say, wow, America's great. I don't want to have Mexico over here. I want to be part of this American dream. But if you let people vote immediately, particularly if millions come across, they come across with their own agenda. And you got to wonder, I mean, you see these people flying into Mexico City from China, well-dressed, designer clothes, $1,000 cell phone, snapping selfies of themselves as they come across the border. Very few women, very few children. Yeah. And the thing is, is they'll eventually, once they can get normalized, they'll bring in the rest of their family. Um, or are they here for nefarious purposes? What do you think? That's more substance, and I think honesty, than you'd get from 50 senators. I'll give you 25 from each party. I'll let you pick them. So he says, um, everything about immigration, the politics of immigration, is power. That the people debating it don't care about the humanity or the individual cases or what happens 
So there's not any real interest or concern about conditions, smugglers, exploitation. It's about votes. By the way, I, I will tell you, you probably know this, but there are people who believe that what Rand Paul just said, that the purpose of massive immigration and uh, legalizing or amnestying people that are here is to replace the current electorate with new voters. There are people who believe that is a tinfoil hat or xenophobic or racist theory. So their response to that is that you only think that, you only feel that way, because these are non-white people. These are people that don't look like you. That's their that's that's the crux of what they're saying. Oh no, it's not a it's not the great replacement. That's that's some crazy internet conspiracy theory. Okay. Have you ever noticed however that when those kinds of people, we'll call them liberals. Have you ever noticed that when people that don't look like us because they're black or brown. When they step out of line, then they can be called and are called every name in the book. We insult them. We belittle them. We smear them. So I guess it's okay for them to ascribe to us racist motives like well you're you're just against uh letting people vote and stay in the country because you don't like their color and we can say to them well i guess you don't like it when people who are that color start a business or begin to express and act on their religious faith or have traditional values or i don't know like donald trump so, I mean, what, where are we going with this? And that's what he's saying. It's all about votes. It's all about who has the votes. The people that are okay with open borders would not be at the first sign that those voters were not going to go their way. At the first sign that those voters were going to be an obstacle rather than an, an enabler, We'd be putting up walls, fences, <laughs> punji sticks. I mean, we'd be we'd be putting up stuff you don't even you don't even you can't even imagine. But right now, they see votes. It's also interesting that uh, imagine being part of a political movement and wanting to lead a country yet knowing that you can't run your jive on the people that are here like they they're on to you they've figured you out you're you're a fraud your policies make people poor and miserable your only hope is to bring in new voters that would be like if you were having a party and you'd invited your 
family and your friends, let's say, to watch the Super Bowl. And as the afternoon went on, you weren't having a good time. You you found these people boring, or they weren't laughing at your jokes, or they didn't like your food. And you said, you know what? I'm going to throw all these people out of my house and invite new people. That's what they're doing. That's what that's that's the that's basically the the strategy of the modern American left. There aren't enough people here to add up to majority or plurality. And it's aggravating because we have this freedom of movement and people keep leaving the states where they're in control and and extending and expanding the population of states where they don't have control. He mentions Texas. So what better way to counter the, pol- the growing political clout of Texas than to replace enough Texans to swing that state into your column. And Rand Paul is an interesting guy because, like, you didn't hear him say anything in that, that was, what, about two minutes, done that we played? Two, two and a half minutes? You didn't hear him say anything of a bragging or praising nature about the Republicans. He's a Republican. He votes with the Republicans. He counts as an R. But he said, if I remember the words, this is why Washington doesn't do anything. And in Washington, everything is about power. And in Washington, they don't care about these people. They just care about the votes. Because I think if we could get him to expand a little bit, I think Rand Paul might be one of those rare Republicans who would agree, you know, we're not we're not much better. We Republicans. We've made a lot of money and we've gotten a lot of votes. We we might be for closing the border and we might be for border enforcement and we might be better on a lot of things than the current Democratic position. But we haven't exactly set the world on fire when we've had the power and the majorities. In fact, there's one guy that pretty much forces them to do the stuff they always talk about doing, but without him, there's no guarantee they would do it. I don't see it. So, Rand Paul, thank God for Rand Paul. You know, Rand Paul's one of those people you, you wish there were more of them, but just having one of them really makes the others look terrible. Really, really, really points out what a what a boat we're in right now. Who do you have in the Super Bowl? If you care, you have a pick. First of all, I have to say these are these are the two. You know, well, you're not going to like this, but. These are the two teams that you really want in the Super Bowl because, just hear me out, if you want a matchup between two teams that com- that, that each contain all the ingredients of a winning program, I'm not saying these are the only two, but these two have it. 
This this is not likely to be a blowout game. This is not likely to be a game that's over in the you know first fifteen or twenty minutes. Also, um, you've got like backstory. The they they've both been here before. One is a budding dynasty. One is a a team that most people feel has underachieved relative to their talent, but certainly could start stringing them together. Talking about the Niners. I've thought about it, and I, I, I have to go with the Chiefs because I think that there's something proven about them. It's not to say that on any given Sunday, but they just, you don't want to bet against Patrick Mahomes. What he's done this year is the last piece to the puzzle. He's he's always had an incredible arm. He's always been mobile. He's fearless. We remember him from his college days like that. This is the season, I think, where he became seasoned. He now looks like a guy that watches tape. He now looks like a guy that has become a student of the game. He was dangerous before, but with that added element, sort of like elder statesman status, I I can't bet against him. I can't pick against him. Um, there are people that will root against him, but you see what I mean. Don, you were telling me about this, and I looked it up. TMZ has a story uh, about how Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback, <laughs> people are telling him that he resembles Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, it's just... That came out a couple of days ago. And first of all, I want to know who, who's, who's watching football and getting ready to go to Las Vegas and even thinking about Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, where's that coming from? I mean, yeah, if you put the pictures side by side, I, did you look? Yes, yes. He does look like him. There's a, Maybe a slight sim- similarity. It's more than yeah. slight. You think so? It's he know. could play him in a movie. Maybe so. But the kid is like, what? What is Brock Purdy like? Twenty four. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald did what he did sixty years ago. I mean, it's not. You might as well. You might as well tell me it looks like John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. You're scratching everyone's head. They couldn't figure out. They thought he looked like someone, and then all of a sudden, it zeroed in. I don't Oswald. understand. I, I mean, you know me. I love history, but it's it's 2024. Who's going around thinking about Lee Harvey Oswald or has him even in their memory bank to the point where you'd say, well, let me figure out who Brock Purdy looks like. I mean, you'd think, okay, somebody who's in Hollywood or some celeb or Lee Harvey Oswald. Because they asked him about it. He doesn't know what to say. What's he supposed to say? He can angrily deny it. He has <laughs> an alibi for that day. I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you say? What do you do with that? So anyway, there's something else. There's something else to watch for in the uh, in the uh, big game. Oh, and I guess this will be the end of the. Uh, remember the theory that the logo colors for the Super Bowl logo are a hint as to which teams are going to be in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that didn't work this year. Mm. These teams are basically red and white and gold and black, and I think the colors were, what, purple and green, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. 
don't don't we that didn't happen but lee harvey oswald happened lee harvey oswald somehow became part of the super bowl aren't we all waiting on to see if travis uh kelsey will take taylor swift's hand in marriage at the end of the super bowl maybe i think i think travis kelsey is going to come out of the closet at halftime <laughs> that's what i think that's my prediction write that down hold me to that on monday Well, we made it to Friday, for whatever that's worth, and now we're here in the last hour of the last show of the week, and we call this hour The Dish, and you are the star of this hour. The only qualification you need to be the star of the show, I just have one question, uh, do, do you ever eat? If you eat, you're qualified. You're hired. If you eat, you're, you're hired. So what we're talking about on the dish is your most recent experience, either going to a restaurant, driving through, getting food delivered, any restaurant, any kind of restaurant, any kind of food, any kind of price. You may have gone to a new restaurant. Maybe yours will be the first we hear about it. You may have gone somewhere that's new to you, and you're sharing your discovery. You may be talking about a place you've been going to and hitting up for years and years. So whatever the story, uh, want to hear about that restaurant anywhere around San Antonio and South Texas at 210-599-5555. Not a restaurant review, just the way you would tell a friend about a place. What's good there? Why did you like it? What's the best thing to order? Or what went wrong? You can praise or zing. There is some movement. There's some movement. There's been a response. The, uh, the, the there's been a response. Mm. Praise or zing. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And of course, at the end of this hour, we'll have the results on the JR poll. Uh, if you have a uh, dog in the race for the Super Bowl, or as we have to call it, the big game. Uh, so we'll talk about that, um, and we're talking restaurants right here. 210-599-5555. This makes you old. If you're doing this, you are showing your age. You ready? If you are still carrying a wallet, that makes you old. It's a fashion don't, according to the New York Post. Carrying your cash and cards in a wallet or billfold or folder is like carrying cough lozenges at the bottom of your purse. Millennials are saying, out with the wallet. Gen Z is using their phone as their wallet. Everything is loaded in, the wallet app or Apple Pay, and uh, no wallet. Everything's digitized. Now, I, I get that. I still like to have the wallet. 
I like the backup. I like the, you know, I don't have a wallet with a lot of money. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. You ever see those people and their wallet looks like a filing cabinet? Like if you have tabs in your wallet, you might have too many things in your wallet. If you could file your income tax return from the documents in your wallet, you probably have too much in your wallet. Just saying. But I just have like a few cards and a a little bit of money. My niece, who's 19, told my mother the other day, my mother, she's at college and she came home and my mom wanted to give her some money to take, you know, to spending money. And uh, she, my niece told her, oh, no, thank you, Nana. I hate money. I hate money. She wasn't saying it like she's, you know, a communist. She, she, was, she was saying she doesn't want to handle money. She doesn't want to be bothered with it. Man, when I was young, I wanted to be bothered. I still want to be bothered with it. Bother me with money, you know? Please. <laughs> but um, preferably small, unmarked bills. But, yeah, I, I guess that's a, that's a generational split, generational divide. So if you're carrying a wallet, or I guess more specifically if you're depending on your wallet, that ages you, according to this article. Um, I also kind of like wallets. Like I like wallets themselves. You know, I'm kind of particular about the one I carry, and I like it. It's one that I've I've bought. I think this is my third or fourth version of this model. I forget the name of the company that makes it. I have to get it online. It's not in the stores, and it's sort of specific in its design. It's got a money clip built into it. I don't know. It's one of those things. I like. I guess you know. For me, the wallet is like the wristwatch. I like wearing a wristwatch. I have a couple of them. They're they're sentimental value to me. I know that I can get the time on my phone, and in fact, I usually do. But I'm not letting go of the wallet. The wallet is just like uh, an adjunct. The watch is just like an adjunct. It's it's like an also, you know. And by the way, when you have white hair like I do, it's not like the wallet is really what's aging you anyway. Like, oh, we, we thought he was a Gen Zer until he pulled out his wallet is not something anything anyone is going to say about me. So, 210-599-5555. We can talk about your most recent restaurant experience or your wallet. I shouldn't even bring up the wallet on the dish, Don, should I? Oh, no. You're probably no. nervous about this. A little, I was a, a little nervous. Are you a little yes, nervous about yes, this? yes. Yeah. Well, considering past experience, we have a history. Yes, we have a history. Yeah, we have a history with uh, (laughs) with the wallet and this hour of the show. But I felt like it was a good story, and I wanted to go with it anyway. So I want you to know I was aware of the interesting story. I was aware of the connection. I've always found. See, uh, I've always found a wallet cumbersome. I've I've never carried a large wallet. You don't carry a wallet. I, I what I carry is these real thin. I guess you could call it a wallet, but it it's it's very thin. It only you're only you know I think there's is it like a card just case? one little compartment where you can keep your driver's license and maybe a debit mm-hmm. card. Yeah. Yep. So what is it? Is it like a card case? Is it like just open up and there's one pocket? Yes, that's about it. Does it fold closed or does it just? No, it's all one piece. All one. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah mine doesn't fold mm-hmm. closed. It's mm-hmm. one piece. It's got three little. Uh, pockets i guess on the front 
doesn't hold much, and I don't carry much. And then on the back, it has a money clip, which, because I'm in radio, is usually empty. So, But I have, at a particular grocery uh, store here in town, where you stand in line. This is which is one another reason why I do not stand in the checkout line when there's people, che- also other people checking out. I did. There was there was a man that uh, <laughs> pulled out this huge folded wallet. Yes, I swear there was receipts falling out of yes. it. You know, he had to yeah. pick up uh, his pen. I think was was also <sighs> in this wallet. If you've got a filing system for your wallet, you have too many things in your wallet. <laughs> If you if it's if if you've ever said the the line, it might be in my wallet. You have too many things in your wallet. Yeah, the the people that have like tabs, you know, sticking out. Come on, clean the thing out. And then you don't have that ginormous, you know, brick in your pocket too. Are you a front pocket man or a, or a back pocket man for your little slender wallet? Uh, front pocket, front pocket. Yeah, front pocket. That's the way to go. All right. I knew I liked you. Talking restaurants on the dish, 210-599-5555 to praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And we'll have poll results coming up at the end of the hour. By the way, on the wallet thing, um, all wallets are outre. According to the Gen Zers, uh, even if you've got like the sticky wallet on the back of your smartphone, you know, you think you're getting away with it. Nope, 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 nope. Not supposed to do it. I'm okay. I, 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 life, life for me has been so much easier since I stopped caring about hipness and trying to be hip. Oh man. Cause I was never good at it. Even when I was young, I was looking at old pictures last night. I, I never really was cool or hip, so there's no point trying now. You know, if you if you were, maybe you want to reclaim it or hang on to it, but I never was, so I'm going to enjoy my wallet. <laughs> what a line. <laughs> Somebody just turned on the radio. They'd be like, what is this show even about? I'm wondering myself. Uh, we're talking restaurants in this hour, 210-599-5555. Julianne is going to save the show with this phone call right here. Happy Friday night, Julianne. Hey, happy Friday to you. Well, thank you. What's up? Um, I just want to share my love for a sushi restaurant called Yummy, and that's at 24165 IH10 San Antonio. Tell me about it. What's good there? So all of their sushi is delicious, of course. Uh, my favorite is the um, UTSA roll. Their tempura is delicious. They bring out um, the miso soup with any meal, and the service is impeccable as well. Hmm. Is it a big place or a small place? What's it like inside? Um. So it's a. I would consider it medium. It's in a strip center next to the big H E B, and okay. it seats quite a bit. It's not large, but it's not small. Um, and pretty much. You said it's on. You said it's on I ten, right? You're right off I ten. Yes, sir. Okay. Is, is there also? It looks like there's also one on on bidders. Do they have like two locations? Possibly. I don't know. I'm from oh, okay. the out 
outer skirts of San Antonio out in the Kerrville area. So anytime oh, gotcha. we get that direction, we definitely hit it. Yes, sir. Nice. And you said the UTSA roll. Now, I always forget what's which roll is which. What's in a UTSA roll? So I think it has the avocado. Um, that Now, we just tried some different ones, so I'm going to be lying. But I think it's salmon, um, cream cheese, and it's fried. They make some fried mm. ones, and then, of course, they do the nigiri ones as well. So we like nice. to try different ones every once every time we go but i i love their fried ones that's i'm kind of partial to the fried ones too so i would probably i would probably go there and i would try yours i would try the utsa roll (laughs) yummy sushi 24 165 ih10 yes and i enjoy your show and your talk radio every evening i listen on the way home and thank you for what you do Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for listening, because that makes it possible for me to do it. So thank you, Julianne. Have a good have a good weekend, and thank you for calling the dish. Uh, yummy, Y-U-M-M-I, Yummy Sushi, 24165, IH10, the market at Bernie Stage Shopping Center, on the dish. And if they're related, there seems to also be one uh, on Bitters Road, so... 210-599-5555. We're talking restaurants and you're praising or zinging maybe where you had lunch today or place you tried out this week or something like that. And Becky is next on the dish. Hi, Becky. Hi, Jack. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm calling to give you a praise on a lady that I know. She owns a restaurant called Dorn Michelle's out in Castroville, located at 3135 FM471. Hmm. You said Dorn, like D-O-R-N, or D-O-R-N, and then the name Michelle. Michelle, tell me about it. They're open from Wednesday through Saturday. Wednesday, she does serve Asian food, which is really good. I've had the sesame chicken there. Her chicken wrap that she serves on a daily basis is amazing. I recently read some posts on Next Door Neighbor app where they had praised her pork chops and her blackened salmon. black and shrimp scampi and this is in an old historical home that she converted over to a restaurant it's back from the 1800s there's a little story on her website about it literally the atmosphere is very quaint it's quiet it's nice it's historical and the food is delicious her son is the chef and actually i was going to wait to call in to tell you about this until i could be sitting on her patio with her beside me but i couldn't stand it anymore i had to call you (laughs) well you can always call again you can always call again when you're with her right uh absolutely i think she would love that is it um i'm just looking at the website now since you mentioned it and um it says on the website homepage, book your reservation. Is it the kind of place that you need one, or what do you think about that? Um, I've only gone for lunch, but in the evening time, she probably would need a reservation ahead of time, unless it's okay. something busy going on like rodeo. So right now she probably has openings more regularly. So it's lunch and dinner Wednesday through Saturday, and uh, yes, it's Doran Michelle, 3135. FM 471 in Castroville. And probably a good idea to look at the website and stuff because you can see the menu and directions and all that good stuff. But but that's very cool. It sounds like a neat story. Yeah. Go try it out. Enjoy it. She's great. Food's great. 
nice little trip out to the countryside a little bit, not you know, not too far from San Antonio, and she would love to see you. There you go. You, you did a good job, Becky. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening to our show. And it's a first-time call on this one. First time we've had a call for Dorn Michelle, D-O-R-N, Michelle, 3135 FM 471 in Castroville on the dish. 210-599-5555. And Gennaro is joining us on a Friday night. It wouldn't really be Friday night if we didn't have Gennaro. <laughs> So now it's Friday night. That happened. Yes, it, How you yes, doing? It is Friday night. I'm doing okay, sir. I, I love your show. I'm calling about the wallet. The walla wallet. Okay. okay. Now, I love I love carrying a wallet. Um, I don't have one of them backbreaker wallets. I'm not that fortunate. Um, when I think I, I believe when I first got my first wallet, it was 1976 or 77. I think I was in first grade. And <laughs> we don't need the whole history of you with wallets. Okay, so anyway, why do you so like anyway, carrying a Why do you like carrying a wallet? What's your deal it, with wallets? It's very efficient. It's very efficient. Um, when I was in high school, I had a Velcro purple. Oh yeah, yeah. wallet. I that know, was I knew you'd briefly. Like that. that was a very cool thing to have, wasn't it? I remember that. Yeah. And when you had to get something out of it, you had to make that tearing noise. And everybody right? heard it. Hey, man, he's got yeah. money. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Um. Okay. So when I was fifteen, um, uh, I went to Mexico for two weeks. I went to Guadalajara with uh with my mom and uh and and a friend, and uh, my grandmother says, "Hey, look." Carry your wallet, but here, put on this money belt. Oh, yeah. And and I had a money belt, and I know I can still find them, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, I'm not a Rockefeller or anything, you know. I'm, I'm right. You know, yeah. But anyway. there's something about a money belt though that makes you feel like you're up to something, doesn't it? Like you, it, it made me feel. All of a sudden, you're like, like a. Yeah, you're like. Yeah, you're like. <laughs> That's right. You're like you're like the bad guy in a Bond movie or something, or you're yeah. you're like no, uh, you're, actually, you're a character in a Glenn Fry like, song. Yeah, that's right. A money belt. I actually felt like James Bond. I felt like a spy. Like, hey man, yeah. I got money in yeah. my belt. Nobody knows. There you go. <laughs> All right, you know. Well, I, I love the reference to the Velcro wallet. Those were the days. The Velcro wallet. Gennaro, have a good weekend. Half hour, we'll get the results in the JR poll. You can still vote when you call in or ktsa.com or our social media. Uh, question on the JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. Do you get the Chiefs or the 49ers in the big game? Maybe you don't care. That's okay, too. Uh, ben is on the dish at 210 599 5555. Happy Friday night, Ben. Yeah, good evening. Uh, there's been a little restaurant on North St. Mary's that I remember going to back in the late 60s as a kid, and it's still there, and the food is still great. I was there last week. It's El Milagrito on the corner of Woodlawn and North St. Mary's. Okay. I, I think I know where that is, but I can't remember if I've seen it before or not. What's good there? What do you like? 
uh, they're everything. <laughs> I, I really <laughs> like their enchiladas. Their carne guisada is really good too. Uh, mm-hmm. They're only open breakfast and lunch, though. They close at three, I believe. So, you know. Okay. But you can still get a big plate of, for lunch for like seven dollars. You just can't beat it. All right. And you said it's been there a long, been there a long time. They, they started out across the street, across St. Mary's, in I think it was the mid '60s. And I remember going there with my dad, picking up food to go. And uh, I think it was in the early. Mid uh, mid seventies, they moved to where they are now, and hmm. you know, much bigger building. Yeah, but to have a little mom and pop shop survive that long—that really does a lot. Of yeah, too. that sure does. That sure does. And that's a that's an area where a lot of places come and go, but to to have made it that long, they got to be doing something right. Um, well, Ben, I appreciate it. That's our first another one that we are getting our first ever call in the dish for El Milagrito Cafe, uh, five twenty one East Woodlawn, on the dish breakfast and lunch only. Breakfast and lunch only. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five on the dish. If you're a uh, Prince fan, Purple Rain the musical is coming together and probably going to be on the big stage, they think, next year. I was reading this today. Um, it's based on, uh, obviously, the movie, which in turn is based on Prince's story. When he was alive, he talked about adapting it for the stage, and it's being done now by some people with uh, Broadway connections and uh, a writer that's written a couple of other uh plays and won Tony Awards and so forth. So if you're a Prince fan or you're a fan of that album, the incredible uh, soundtrack album, uh, probably 2025 for Purple Rain. I want to say that, did that come out done in 83? Does that sound right? I, Purple Rain album, 80, 84? Yeah, 84, 83 or 84, like so. Because um, 83 is going to be our countdown year next week, if you're interested. We'll be going our... Going back in time for a top 10 from 1983. Maybe Prince will be on it. I don't know. Big year for him. 210-599-5555. Frank is on the dish. Frank, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jack. I love your show. Oh, thank you. What's up? What's going on? I called to talk about the Happy Day Cafe. Uh, I don't know how long this has been open, but I just recently discovered it on a tip from my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little, really small place in the corner of a L-shaped strip center off of Booker uh, in Universal City. And uh, the thing I like about it is you can get breakfast anytime they're open. They they're only open till three in the afternoon, but I love having breakfast food for lunch. Mm. And uh, they, have, they have a pretty big menu. I'm looking at the place right now. There's only ten tables, so it's it's a small place. Very nice people and very good food. You know, mm. I, I would call it diner food, diner type food. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Do you have a favorite thing there or a thing you would recommend we try? Well, both things, my wife and I, the both things we had were really good. I had a, a chicken fried steak sandwich that was, was wonderful. And she had a patty melt, which is, you know, pretty common fare for a diner. And she said it's the best she's ever had. Wow. That's saying a lot because wow. my wife really liked that. But, uh, yeah, really, really neat little casual place, nice environment, uh, almost invisible where it's sitting. You don't see it unless you drive in 
or you know you might hmm. catch the sign. But uh, people are super nice, and the food's super good. I mean, they have a big a big menu for a little place. Yeah. They had a full size school chalkboard type thing full of full of items. When we first when we first got a call about it uh, a couple of years ago, the, the caller said that the person that opened it had been in the restaurant in the Universal City restaurant, you know, scene for a long time. That it's somebody with a lot of experience, and I guess you'd have to have you'd really have to know what you're doing to be to be that small. You're the way you're yep. describing it, and kind of off the beaten path, and still be successful, right? And the other people that were there, we were in, the, and we were in there about one thirty in the afternoon, and there were only a couple other tables there. But the people that were there were obviously regulars, so yeah. we we were bold and walked around and asked everybody what they were eating, and everybody was just <laughs> absolutely thrilled with their food. And of course, I was, my wife was a little embarrassed because I kept saying, "Are you going to eat that? Are you going to eat that?" <laughs> I didn't. You're just trying to help, right? That's all. Hey, I'm just here to help. If you get full, I'm over here. I'm, I'm sitting at this table over here. Just bring it over. I like that. Uh, good job, Frank. You, you definitely, you definitely sold it. Happy Day Cafe, 8320 Pat Booker Road in Universal City. That's about our third call on the dish. Thank you, Frank. About our third call on the dish going back to November of 2021. And everybody says, very small place, food's amazing. We've had mentions of the Eggs Benedict a couple of times, and Frank mentioned the chicken fried steak sandwich and the patty melt. Boy, does the patty melt sound good right about now? That would hit the spot right now. 210-599-5555, and Mary is on the dish. Happy Friday night, Mary. Oh, hi, Jack. Um, Thank you for taking my call. Uh, This restaurant was so delicious. It was called Pho Hung. Chong, I think. I'm not sure about the pronunciation. But it's 12730 West I-10 on the corner of Dezavala and I-10 in that shopping center. Okay. And I usually meet a couple of nurse friends of mine. We're all retired. Um, And it was so delicious this time. You know, the pho is what I had. And, you know, that's usually determined by the flavor of the broth. The broth was delicious. The temperature was delicious. I mean, perfect. And um, I just really enjoyed it. And we go there every couple of months, but this time it was really good. And um, besides the pho, what else do they have? They or have, have you tried other things? Yeah. Or? No, I, I've been retired a couple of years, and I only get the pho. But my friends get the other dishes, and they all are delicious. The wraps, you know, the Vietnamese spring rolls, they're delicious. And But everything in this little restaurant is, is just quaint. They have little TVs all around the top. Of, so obviously, you know, younger people come in in the evenings and watch sports and stuff. Um, it's moderately priced and it's medium. It's very clean and the service is outstanding. So I really like it and you should go. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I love pho and I love spring rolls and everything you described sounds good. Um, you said it's 12730 I-10 frontage, right? And you said it's near De Zavala? Yes, west I-10. Um, it's, yes, it's right on the corner there. Um, you know is where it... the H-E-B is on mm-hmm. the right side, and then on the other side is a little shopping center with, I think a couple, it used to be Mega Furniture was there, and... And I don't know the other places very well. 
But right remember next door that. is America. Well, there's America's Diamond is right next door. Okay. Okay. Remember I know where you is? are now. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like on the, you'd be probably like on the, maybe the southwest corner? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know where you are. That's like a little shopping center, and it's got a, I think there's a Twin Peaks, and there's a sports yes. store. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, so Actually, when we were looking, when we were looking at the website, it, or looking at uh, the Google rather, it looks like there's more than one uh, restaurant with that exact name. So maybe they even have more than one. But I see the one that you're that you're talking about. So I'm going to try it. I'm going and I'll talk okay, about it on good. the dish when I do, Mary, because I love that kind of food. So thank you for that. Thank you have a good weekend. Much. I appreciate you and praise for. I'll try it. Fa Hung Kung. Or something like that. <laughs> I know I've got the pho part right. Uh, it's P-H-O-H-U-N-G-C-U-O-N-G. Not feeling too confident about my pronunciation, but with everything else, I bet you can find it. Uh, 12730-I-10 frontage at De Zavala. Yeah, it looks like there's also, if it's, Related, maybe it's just a coincidental name or something, but um, it looks like there might also be one on Loop 410. So just throwing that out there. 210-599-5555, and we're going to stay with Thai food for Carl. Hi, Carl. Hey, how you doing tonight? Good, how are you? Good. I'm calling about a Thai food restaurant on Northwest Military Highway near... West Avenue called Flying Tiger Thai Restaurant. Tell me about it. Oh, man, we, we love it. Uh, we go uh, often for takeout. Um, they have really good appetizers. Um, they have some uh, shrimp dumplings, which are amazing. Uh, and all the other appetizers we've got are really good, too. But that's my favorite one, shrimp dumplings. Uh, I, I love their pad thai. And uh, we get a couple different dishes also, like some curry and uh, something that's like the drunken noodles. But it's, they don't call it drunken noodles there. It's called like Pad C-U, I believe. But I, it's like drunken noodles. Um, mm-hmm. All the food's really good, really nice people. Um, they have really good, a uh, couple really good desserts that we've got in there. Um, one really good one is... Uh, it's bananas with some cream cheese and chocolate, and uh, that, that's that's a really good. Uh, that's one we get wow. often. But wow. all, all the food we've had there has been really good and super nice uh, people. Also, now it looks like it's in Castle Hills on on Northwest Military. Is that right? Yes, sir. What what's like a landmark? What is it near that people might recognize? Um. Well, there's a different Thai food restaurant across the street, and whenever I've gone, I've and I've gotten food from there before. I'm not going to say the name, and I think, why are those people so busy when this food over here is so much better? <laughs> um, I um, think I know which one you mean. I'm not going to make you say it, but yeah, does no. do, is it Thai, and the second word begins with a T? Yes, and ends with a Z. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know the one you mean. So this is and across the street from that. It's not horrible, but yeah. No, it's, it's not, not horrible. horrible but the place across the street is really good. And uh, yeah, behind there is, uh, I mean, in that shopping center is, I think, a, like a pet store or something like that, I believe. Um, oh, okay. But it's just, a, it's a standalone building. It's not in a, uh, 
it's not like this in a string of shopping, you know, that shopping center has a string of businesses connected to each other. It's a standalone building. Gotcha. Really close to Flying the Tiger Thai Restaurant, 2114 Northwest Military Highway. So if you're going up Northwest Military Highway from 410, I guess it would be on your left, right? It is, yes, sir. All right. Great job, Carl. Thank you for telling us about it. Yet another one. We're getting a first-time call on the dish for that one. Thank you, Carl. Flying Tiger, Flying Tiger, Thai Restaurant, 2114 Northwest Military in Castle Hills. There's about a stick, sticker. What's happening with the Snickers bars? Yeah. Snickers bars, you know that candy? Yeah. Well, they haven't raised the price of a Snickers bar. They just took 10% of it out. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's much smaller. So that's how they're making more money. Thank God. Mm. He's, uh, he's paid attention. He's, he's dialed in. Been checking out the size of the Snickers bar. Probably probably unwrapped some and lined them up on his blotter. Made that discovery. Okay. Uh, that's President Biden. If you've ever wondered, as I know we all have, what would it be like to hear Elizabeth Warren sing a Taylor Swift song? Well, I got that for you, too. Uh, here she is, courtesy of the Stephen Colbert Show on CBS. It's it's lovely to have you on. It must be big doings down in Washington oh, for Elizabeth doings. Warren to be on here to explain yeah. things to us. But before before we get into to anything else, we talk about um, Taylor Swift won big at the Grammys last night. Yeah. Okay. Was that phase one of the Democrats' deep state plan for the you Chiefs? You bet. <laughs> you bet. And all I can say to Donald Trump is, hate has got to hate, 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 hate. There you go. Hmm. So. You know who's probably looking up her number right now? It's Travis Kelsey. You know? Because there you get the voice, the looks, and the experience. So, is there anything she can't do? Well, say. All I can say to Donald Trump is <laughs> he just got to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Make it stop. On the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, do you got the Chiefs or the 49ers? This ended just the way you would expect. Uh, 50-50 tie, exactly split. America's polarized between the Chiefs and the 49ers. I, I, all I'll say is um, I'll be happy with either outcome. I hope it's close. I think it will be. And um, just... Relax about you-know-who, because we're going to get through this. You don't even know who I'm talking about. Well, maybe you can guess. We're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. We got this. Hope you have a good weekend. Catch you back live Monday at 4. Don't forget, anytime, listen on demand, ktsa.com, or look for the Jack Riccardi Show podcast, where you get your other podcasts. Greedflation. Shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bars? Well, it's going to stop.